everybody, Scott Burnside back for another morning edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. The second round of the playoffs rolling inexorably to their conclusion. Drama. Oh yeah, we got drama. And more importantly, do you know what we have this morning? I could barely sleep last night knowing that Trip Tracy was going to join us this morning. The man, the legend... Now, I was going to say, you, normally when you and I are chatting, Trip, it's, it, you're often in Raleigh, of course. That's 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 your professional home. But you are in beautiful Michigan now. How, how are you doing? How are things in Michigan? Scotty, my brother, it's great to hear your voice. Um, it's a beautiful, pure Michigan um, Thursday morning, um, just north of Detroit on the lake. And um, I am uh, with my mom, uh, my dad. Uh, passed away nearly two years ago so i i try to spend as much time as i can with my mom and we're not just uh mother and son we're we're best friends and um under these um obviously uh, unprecedented circumstances this will be the first fall scott that uh, that i i've spent in gross point farms michigan where i grew up since since 1991 so i um obviously i prefer to to be calling hockey games but that's going to be pretty neat um you know here's labor day weekend in the states is upon us that i'll be in uh, pure michigan for the fall didn't they make a movie of your life with uh, john cusack and uh, oh no that was a hitman no you're right completely different (laughs) no you're you're right it was gross point blank was with john cusack and that's in my hometown um it wasn't about it wasn't about uh, my life, but I mean, it wasn't Gross Point. And then, gosh, what's the? Um, oh my gosh, the Clint Eastwood movie that uh, that. Um, oh gosh, in, in Detroit several years ago, and there's a closing scene. It's about bullying, and you know, there's a closing scene where you know there's a car driving along the lake, and that's right on the street that I I grew up in uh, and, nice. and live on, and here in Gross Point Farms. I thought you were going to talk about the bridges of Madison County, but that's that's yet another movie. That's a different thing. Uh, Trip. All right, let's get. Uh, I want to start with something you've been doing uh, recently, and certainly during the pause. Um, it's called digging in with Trip, which is an unbelievable. It's like a visual podcast, right? You get the whole multimedia thing going on, and you're you have incredible A list guest you have kevin weeks on you had scotty bowman on and i know you had long, uh, like an epic conversation with paul maurice um who of course you know so well from his time in in carolina tell me about what what's that what that has been like for you because it's it's a little bit different from what your normal role doing color for the canes that you have for many years what's it been like to to have those kinds of hockey chats outside of Maybe it's outside your comfort zone, but maybe outside of something that you're you're used to doing on a daily basis. Uh, Scotty, I, thanks for asking about it. I it, it's been just a ball of fun. Um, and Paul Maurice, who I, I I actually dug in with yesterday, dug in for two and a half hours with, um, <laughs> and that's going to come out tomorrow. Um, and I've actually, when I was playing junior A tier two hockey, he was coaching in the OHL. Um, so I got to know him when I was a teenager. Mo's just a couple of years older than me. And then, you know, my, my shot of espresso in the NHL, he was actually my coach. Um, but, you know, it's, we went two and a half hours, you know, because on a, on a 
an abundance of subjects and it'll be out tomorrow. Uh, we both, I think, needed to, to carbo load last night, you know, after going two and a half hours strong. But the, it's it, it, Mo is uh, is the guy that uh, really pushed me to do it. Uh, and, um, you know, and I, I, I finally elected to give it a go in, in June. And the name I'm, I'm pretty pumped up about. The name is, is, is pretty interesting because not the, this season, but last season, Scotty, all the time that we'll spend together uh, when you're in, in Raleigh coming up from Atlanta. Cause you know, you, you you're supremely um, gifted in the world of journalism, but you know, I think you're a closet caniac. And, <laughs> and so anyway, so I usually, before I do my bench interview uh, that airs in our pregame show with the hurricanes and or the top of the game broadcast, I'll swing by the coach's room because I have to go through the locker room and those guys are, you know, they're, they're, they're tense. They're getting ready for the game. Roddy Brindamore, Jeff Daniels, who was my captain in the American League, Dean Chenault, great personality, the video coaching staff, Jason Mazzotti, who was my roommate, my first camp in Hartford. And, and I'll go in there and I got to, you know, I got to gotta loosen those guys up. They've already done their prep for the game. And I'll just spend three, four minutes with them before I go interview whoever, uh, you know, I, I, I am on the bench. And this is, you know, before the Hurricanes returned to the playoffs a year ago last season. And I'd say if it was, you know, every team has some guys that tend to be on the perimeter on occasion. And, you know, if I was interviewing one of those guys, I'm not going to name names, but if I was interviewing one of those guys, I'd tell the coaches, you know, before I left the coach's office, I'd say, I'm going to interview so-and-so. Don't worry. The end of the interview, I will tell him, you better dig in tonight. <laughs> and so they, <laughs> the, the coaches would always crack up and so really that was the origin of it and hence the name of the podcast uh digging in because you know we we certainly uh get our best results in all areas of life and certainly in hockey when you dig in and dig in deep uh, given the guest list that you've had so far, I can assume I'll get my call oh, about the uh, last part of season five on a Sunday of a long weekend. But that's all right. Just, you know, whenever you need me to fill in some space, just let me know. And I'll, uh, I'll happy, that's happily fake news. answer the that's phone. That's fake news. After, listen, <laughs> after the, the countless times that you and I, because there are all different kinds of digging in, you and I have dug in a few times with, <laughs> with uh, you know, John Deere earth moving equipment. Uh, so yes, we have. that call's coming soon, Scotty. And we'll smoke cigars. <laughs> well, we'll smoke cigars as we're digging in. I'm all for that, my friend, all for that. And it's great. You know, it's a great segue that you were talking to Paul Maurice, of course, a longtime coach in, in Carolina and Toronto and, and currently the Winnipeg Jets head coach. And I was thinking about Paul Maurice and as I was watching game six of the uh, Colorado-Dallas series and thinking about Michael Hutchinson, a, a guy who, you know, now the third-string goaltender for the Colorado Avalanche gets his first start in game five in an elimination game, wins that game, wins game six. And so we are going to have a game seven, at least one game seven in the second round, which I'm I'm so pumped for. I just I, – I love that. And I wanted to ask you – you have you have a lot of experience with game sevens. As recently as a year ago, in the first round with the Carolina Hurricanes going 
up against the defending Stanley Cup champion, Washington Capitals. Double overtime, Game 7. Uh, the Canes uh, prevailed, of course, and, and went on to an Eastern Conference Final. Um, but Tripp, I'm, I'm just curious, when you, when you look at the dynamics of a Game 7, and having been around teams both winning and losing over the years, but what's that like? What is there a way to describe the atmosphere of, of a Game 7, even though the atmosphere is completely different in the playoffs this year because of the pandemic. But it, is there a way to describe Game 7? What's that like? Gosh, what a great question. Um, and I'm... I, you know, we all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses. You know, a strength, I have a, a memory like an elephant. And and so you <laughs> have now, you've, you've put me, and I can feel being back on the bus uh, last year the team bus going over to uh, the the arena in Washington and the hurricanes in that series stayed in Georgetown. So you're much further away from the game brink. I love that we stayed in Georgetown, yeah. but um, there was major traffic. I mean, major traffic, no police escort for that particular game. And I truly thought uh, that the bus might be late. And <laughs> And I was at the front of the bus and, you know, it was totally quiet as, as, you know, most, you know, player buses are going to any game, let alone in a game seven. And I remember I was, uh, I was texting back and forth with Justin Williams and he's at the back, you know, all the veterans sit usually in the, the back seat or right there. Uh, and I said, uh, through a mutual friend, I said, if you win this game, Willie, uh, because he's never played Augusta. I said, I'm going to find a way to get you on Augusta. And I got a buddy that can do it. So, but it's, you know, I, I, I think it's the team that, you know, utilizes the pressure most advantageously. I mean, I look at another game seven um, in with Paul Maurice, and he and I actually speak about this when Digging In comes out tomorrow uh, in 2009 in the second round against the top seed in the East at that point, the Boston Bruins. And and Mo went into it. He had never told me this, this story, Scott, but he put Scott Walker in game seven, the eventual overtime goal scorer, with Eric Stahl and Ray Whitney. Eric Stahl, of course, was the Hurricanes' big boy up front on that team. And Scott Walker typically would never have played with Stahl, but he put him up there for a couple of reasons. Scotty Walker's wife, uh, Julie, had been diagnosed with cancer during that series. The public didn't know. Scotty Walker had had an altercation with former Hurricane Aaron Ward in game five of that series. And so he thought those factors, and it was just a feel move, um, would be a good adjustment for him to make. And so he put him with Eric and with Ray, and, and as luck would have it, the script that that Scotty Walker scored the overtime winner. And I can still see John Forsen and I in the booth looking down when Scotty scored that goal in the garden in Boston. Um, and so that's a, the memory that I think about. And Colorado, I mean, what a, what a performance last night. And, you know, depending on the health of Gabriel, of Landis, Cog, um, you know, they're banged up. I mean, what type of adjustments and do you have to make if you're Jerry Bednar, um, you know, preparing for a game seven because Paul Maurice certainly went with feel. He, 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 when we dug in, he, he said, listen, most coaches are comparable in terms of, of, of what their capabilities are with regards to X's and O's. What separates coaches in his view 
is your feel. And what a decision that was. I was absolutely impressed, uh, really in spades, with the Colorado Avalanche's performance last night. Um, you know, to when you don't score on the power play, you don't create anything on the power play. You mentioned Hutchinson gave up a really soft first goal and moved yes. on. Yep. These and, and and you know you lose your captain. I mean, what an effort! I, I mean, I was truly impressed. Well, and and what strikes me is that the that a game seven, and certainly you know we're going to have two game sixes tonight. So who knows what we what we see with you know the Islanders having a chance once again to close out Philadelphia, and a, a very very good Vegas team having a chance to close out Vancouver for a second straight game. Um, is that when you don't have those, when you don't take advantage of those opportunities, and, and I have to wonder, you know, what the mindset for the Dallas Stars, you know, given trip all the stuff that you mentioned, the injuries to critical pieces of their lineup, including the top two goaltenders for the Avs, and you take a bunch of penalties, you don't get into any flow, now you, you know, you, you get waxed in game five, then you got really little to show for it in game six. Now you're, now you are... You've blown the three-one lead, and I wonder, sort of, the opposite side of that that coin going into a game seven. If you're Dallas, how you have to put behind you the disappointments of what's happened to get you to this point when it looked like you were in control. And I wonder if you, you know, the sense of the mental toughness that is going to be required of this Dallas team now to not let it all slip away. Well, it's. It- this is don't let it go to your head, but this is why you're so supremely talented because you have me, re- <laughs> you have me reflecting in all these moments. Of course, I always dreamt of, of playing in these game sevens. You know, and I backed up one game in the National Hockey League as a goalie. So my experiences are watching game sevens through the years, and of course, what what jumps out to me was the Hurricanes in the 2006 Stanley Cup Finals having a three-one lead on the Edmonton Oilers, and getting trounced by the Oilers in Edmonton in game six. Now, Carolina had fought all year long for home ice advantage, totally different scenario in this case. Um, And they got off to a good start. Aaron Ward scored early and the fans in Raleigh were on their feet for the entire game on that June Monday night. Um, But, you know, for Dallas, I think it comes down to, they're gonna need a good start, just like the Hurricanes did in that uh, that game seven against Edmonton to win the Stanley Cup. Aaron Ward scoring early, um, and another digging in episode I I did with three time Stanley Cup winner Patrick Sharp. He said some some really interesting things. What a job he's doing on NBC. But Scotty, he he spoke about his mom in Thunder Bay telling him one thing in one word at a young age and then reinforcing it through his entire um, life and hockey life. And that is the word believe, believe. And that sometimes is (laughs) most times is so much easier said than done. But when you don't have belief, when your confidence is rattled, how do you manufacture it? Um, I think you have to remember that, Work comes before skill. Skill doesn't come before work. And, you know, let's talk about, you know, for the Beyond Ultra Classy Rick Bonus's hockey club, um, Jamie, Ben, and Tyler Sagan, they got to be a lot better. I mean, a lot better. And, you know, because you look at the stars last night, um, Nathan McKinnon, my gosh. Um, 
uh, Kale McCarr. I actually reached out in the third period. I reached out to Sidney Crosby, of course, being from Cole Harbor and a dear friend of Nathan McKinnon. And I said, Sid, I don't want a stock answer here. I said, what makes beyond all the obvious things, great kid like you from a home, you know, great hometown, salt of the earth, never loses his roots. But what makes Nathan McKinnon so special? And what do you admire most in him? And he said, he never stops his desire to want to learn. And then this was, I thought the coolest part. He said, he wants the game on his stick. And that's, that's hard to ascertain if you don't have it. Coming from Sidney Crosby, that's unbelievable. Um, and, you know, I think the Dallas Stars, Stars, Sagan and Ben, they really have to be the guys that, even with all these great young players, Rick Bonus, Jim Neal, they got to be the guys that set the tone, um, you know, to, to get off to a good start in Game 7. Man, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I, I'm going to – we're going to take a quick – break trip and then we're going to come back for a couple final uh, thoughts from you so don't go away we'll be right back with the great trip tracy our sponsor today manscaped has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels the premium lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof includes an LED light, and is made with an advanced skin-safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. You can get this trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver, Ball Deodorant, and the Crop Reviver Ball Toning Spray. Both super practical, and they smell great, too. Plus, for a limited time, when you order the Perfect Package Kit, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. The Manscaped Anti-Chafing Cooling Boxer Briefs might be one of the greatest inventions of all time and one of the best parts of this collection. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. From the moose to the caboose, always use the right tools for the job. Trip, before I let you get back to your fine Michigan morning, I, I am curious, I, I mean, when, I, and when you were talking about belief and talking about, you know, those sort of intangibles that, that are so important in these critical elimination games, certainly a game seven now between Colorado and Dallas on Friday evening, but I'm thinking about that Eastern Conference game and two teams that you know very well from the Metropolitan Division with Philadelphia and the New York Islanders. And and I, I it strikes me that this is... I know that Claude Giroux and uh, James Van Riemsdyk and a number of players who'd been Travis Konechny had a, a big night in Game 5. Very difficult playoff year for some of their star players in Philadelphia. Um, and I know that uh, Alain Vigneault mentioned this before Game 5, just sort of talking about the legacy of players in Philadelphia. And this was a good chance for some of those players to reinforce their legacy. And, and I wonder, you know, when you think about Game six and and whether the flyers can do it again and force a game uh seven 
uh, in that series. What you make of that and really the pressure on guys like Claude Giroux, um, who have been very honest about it. He and I had a conversation at training camp in the fall about how he wants to change his legacy with the Flyers. They haven't had the kind of playoff success that he desires as a leader of that team. And I wonder what you make of, you know, the idea of belief and the idea, um, you know, as we head into game six tonight. Well, another good one. And you got me reflecting again, and it involves a former flyer um, because my experience of observation is, Scotty, that the eventual Stanley Cup winner seems to always, and it's usually early in the playoffs, but at some point, individually and collectively, go through major adversity. And I'm sitting, I'm thinking about Again, when Carolina won, very good Montreal team came into Raleigh in games one and two, beat the Hurricanes. You start a rookie, Cam Ward, in game three. You're, uh, it, it, Justin Williams, another former Flyers, high-stick Saku Koivu, no penalty on the play. And you're not generating, if you're Carolina, much of anything in the third period down one nothing, Not much of anything. And Rod Brindamore just willed a puck in the net. Eric Stahl scored in overtime. And the Hurricanes ended up, against, I thought, a really fine Montreal hockey club. You know, they won four straight and won in, in, in six games, and then they were rolling. That was their adversity. Uh, I look at Washington a couple of years ago, dropping the two games at home to Columbus, going uh, from Grubauer to Braden Hopi, winning in overtime uh, in Columbus. They did the same thing. That was their adversity. For Philadelphia right now, is this their adversity? Uh, it's the second round, not the first round, but it's still early. Um, and is what happened in the last game an awakening for Claude Giroux, Van Riemsdyk? Um, your your star players who are trying to write a legacy, what do they do with it? Um, and if Philadelphia gets through, especially with a guy that has uh, proven to have the, the medal in the nets that the Flyers we know haven't had in, in Carter Hart, um, if they get through this adversity, boy, are they going to be beyond dangerous because then you start to think that you're a team of destiny. Um, but on the flip side, and I'm not trying to be Switzerland neutral here, I'm actually working through it in my own head as to who I would pick um, because Barry Trotz's team, um, they have had a really good response um, to losses and to their personal adversity. And we, we know the type of structure they play with that they don't beat themselves. You, you're you're going to have to beat them, and you're going to have to earn it. We just spoke about the need for the Stars to lead the way in Dallas. Um, what does the first really good feeling for Claude Giroux specifically um, do for him moving forward in this game? Because momentum is uh, sometimes a, uh, a magic carpet ride. that it, it, It's tough to get on that carpet, but once you get going, you're rolling. One thing I never need to worry about you, Trip is whether you're going to bring the heart. And you did this morning, and I'm uh, so excited for your new adventure, your podcast, Digging In With Trip. so you should give that a listen. You should also follow Trip on Twitter, at Trip Tracy. And my friend, I hope that we will chat again soon, and thanks for coming to hang out with us on a Thursday morning. Scotty, uh, you are my brother. I, I miss you. I'm, you know, these... Uh... You know, you're all hard. Your phone calls and, and uh, you know, digging in. Uh, 
sessions like this, you always have me at hello. So I hope you have a great day. And hopefully maybe, you know, because you really cut your teeth in Windsor across the uh, across Lake St. Clair and the Detroit River here. Uh, perhaps we can uh, rendezvous for a digging in session sometime here in the next couple months. <laughs> I would love that. Thanks very much, my friend. Take care. Always great to catch up with Trip, and we are going to take another break. But when we come back, we're, we've got a show closer here. Harmon Dial, our fine Vancouver Canucks writer. And what drama is going on? I can't believe that. I wonder if the, the, what the streets of Vancouver are like as they get ready for Game 6 this evening against the Vegas Golden Knights. But you'll have to wait to the uh, after this break to find out. Harmon... Listen, it's it's early in the morning, so let's start this right off right off the hop. Thank you so much for getting up and and having a coffee or a tea or whatever it is to get yourself going in the morning. But thanks for for getting up early and and talking Canucks uh, Golden Knights. Thanks for having me on, Scotty. I uh, I'm I'm you know Vancouver's one of my favorite cities. And that's I mean I'm not in the uh, in the minority in saying that that's for sure and i think back to the draft last year and uh, you know just such a great town and having been there during really the you know sort of the you know moments in the last 10 or 15 years that it just you know with the hockey really gripped the city during that 2011 playoff run and in the final ending as badly as it did in Game 7. Uh, not that we need to bring that up for Canucks fans, but, uh, Harmon, is there a, a way to describe maybe the feeling about this young Canucks team in that city and, you know, where it fits into, you know, the expectations and the and the, the fortunes that have waxed and waned for the Canucks over the years? What's the vibe about this team in Vancouver right now? It's a ton of excitement right now. I think um, over the last five years or so as the Canucks sort of emerged um, out of the glory days of the 2011 years they obviously went through a really tough rebuild um, with a lot of losing a lot of lean years with not a lot of talent and I think this is um, this is the light at the end of the tunnel right like this is the reward for all of all of that losing all of that pain and uh, you're finally seeing the team round a corner and I think it's, it's not just the diehards, but I think uh, a lot of the more casual audience, too, is starting to hop back on, right? Like, uh, a lot of my friends, personally, they haven't really caught up with the team over the last uh, few years. Like, the last time they'd, they'd watched this club was 2011, and, and now it's like they're back, back for the ride as well. And they're watching games, and they're excited, and... Uh, so really, I think this is uh, this is a first year where the team's back in the playoffs. Uh, they caught a lot of attention by beating the Blues in round one. And I think it's just a moment for them to recognize that this is the start. This is the birth um, of a really exciting core and, and hopefully uh, the beginning of something really special as far as building a Stanley Cup contender again. Yeah, it, what's been so much fun to watch, and certainly from afar, and I, I'm old, so I covered Travis Green when he was playing for the Leafs, and, you know, so y- y- you see, you know, it's not just the team that's grown up, and I, I don't know, I don't think it's overstating it to say that my sense is that Travis Green and that coaching staff have really grown into that position. In my sense is there's a real understanding of the personalities in that locker room and, and what's going on, and I think, you know, sometimes you wonder as this playoff year has gone along as as crazy as it's been that you wondered at moments okay is this 
you know, at some point, will the Canucks go, wow, this has been a ton of fun, but you know what? <laughs> We're probably not really ready for anything more. And, and, and that's the end of it. I thought we, you know, I think a lot of people felt that was going to happen against St. Louis when the Blues came back to tie that series at, at to two games apiece, and it didn't happen. And I think people imagine, well, you know, Vegas is up 3-1, you know, great run for the Canucks, bodes well for the future, that's probably enough. And yet they come up with a, a gritty win behind Thatcher Demko in Game 5. And I, I wonder if there's been a surprise for you, and you see them every day, that there is this sort of constant pushback from this team. And I don't know whether they've got another one or maybe two or whatever in them, but I wonder if you've been surprised, uh, Harmon, by, by what you've seen in, in, in terms of that pushback from this team. I've been really impressed by this group's resolve, and um, I think it got to a point where in Game 5 I almost expected a pushback, which speaks volumes to the confidence that I've come uh, to sort of uh, have in this group and and in the coaching staff to prepare them. I remember um, after the Canucks got off the hot start in uh, October, things just started it looked like the wheels were kind of falling off the bus there uh, after a lengthy November road trip and, and the club was struggling in the first uh, half of December as well. And right then and there, there were calls in the market to fire Jim Benning, to fire Travis Green, that this was it. They were going to miss the playoffs again. And right there, the Canucks reeled off, I think, um, 12 of 13 or some or something just insane where they put themselves back in the playoffs and, um, and and so that was just the first sign of this is a team that when adversity strikes they've come they've come alive they've stepped up to the plate and I think we've we've we in Vancouver have seen that time and time again and so uh, when you saw that their backs were up against the wall uh, against Vegas particularly against I mean, uh, I was really impressed against St. Louis down uh, or when they'd taken the 2-0 lead and then St. Louis clawed back. And in game five, remember that the Canucks had to uh, come back, right? Like, I can't remember what, what, what exactly the score was, but they were down uh, multiple goals in the second period. And it looked like this is St. Louis taking over. This might be the end of Vancouver's run. And, and the Canucks found a way to come back. And so that's why I think central to this team's identity has been resolve, has been the ability uh, to come back when you least expect them to. Um, and I think that speaks, again, volumes to what Travis Green has done uh, with this group to just build that resiliency. Well, I, I may not know much, and it's been hard to get your arms around this playoff year and, and all the, the crazy things that have happened, but I think I'm safe in saying that the Canucks have to be a lot better in Game 6 than they were in Game 5 if they hope to, to force the seventh game. And, you know, I'm curious what you think or what your expectations are for Thatcher Demko Moving forward, I mean, he gets his first ever playoff start. He is unbelievable, 42 saves. Um, the Canucks really didn't have a lot going for a long stretch, long stretches of that game. My sense, the Canucks are going to have to be better if they're going to force Game 7. But I wonder what you make of that whole dynamic with Demko coming in and and seizing the moment like he did. No question, the Canucks are, are going to have to play a lot better in front of their goaltender and uh, when it pertains to Demko specifically, uh, again, talk about stepping up to stepping up to the occasion, stepping up at the moment. Like this is the stuff legends are made of. Because you look back at Demko, this 
kid hasn't played in six months. Uh, he's making his playoff NHL debut against the Golden Knights team that's uh, controlled the run of every game they've played at 5-on-5. Five five. Like, even though the Canucks had stolen a game to that point, it was all Vegas all the time. And uh, so it, he was under tremendous pressure heading into Game 5 and puts in a stellar performance. And I honestly look back at the um, March stretch when the Canucks post-trade deadline were, again, sort of sliding out of uh, a playoff position slightly. Uh, they were on really rocky footing, and Markstrom had gone down with a knee injury. He was going to be out for a few weeks, and uh, it was going to be Thatcher Demko's show. And so he had about seven starts before the NHL paused in uh, NHL season paused in March. And over the first three three or four starts, he really struggled. He was, again, under a lot of duress. All the spotlight was on him. But after the first few starts, he really dialed in. And in, in the games right before the lockdown, uh, he gave them a solid chance to win. And I think overcoming that adversity, getting that experience of how to handle big moments, big pressure, that equipped him well mentally for this moment that he had in Game 5, and, and what a stellar showing it was. A 43-save performance. Uh, he was by far the team's best player in Game 5. So you mentioned Jim Benning, the uh, often under-siege GM of the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, life is not going to get uh, you know particularly easy for Jim, regardless of how this plays out um, in the rem- remainder of their playoff run. He's got to... He's got to deal with Jacob Markstrom, who is headed or can head to unrestricted free agency. And I know Pierre Lebrun and I have had this debate back and forth. And, and I think Pierre is probably right that it seem, it just seems like that's a good fit for Jacob Markstrom if he can somehow, you know, find a way to, to come up with a deal to remain with the Canucks. But I'm curious whether you think something like we're seeing from Thatcher Demko and let's say win or lose, but he has another good performance tonight. Maybe they win. There's a game seven. It's such a small piece of time, but is it the is it the kind of performance that maybe gives the organization pause in terms of how they view their long term goaltending? And with the expansion draft for Seattle coming up, whenever that is, sometime like presumably a year from now, whenever the next season ends. But that's also going to be a factor. And I, I talked to somebody who said, "Well, if Jacob Markstrom stays, that pretty much assures at some point that Thatcher Demko." goes. And and I wonder just what you make of that dynamic, given what we've seen over the last couple of days from Thatcher Demko. Well, it isn't, uh, it isn't Vancouver if it isn't, if there isn't a goaltending controversy. <laughs> yeah, <of course>. so, <laughs> um, I, yeah, no, I mean, you look at this dynamic and you've got to remember Thatcher Demko drafted in the second round in 2014. He was essentially groomed to be the goalie of the future and you obviously look at Markstrom and everything he meant to the club in the regular season and I think before uh, he stepped up to the moment here Demko that is uh, there was a prevailing belief that Markstrom had kind of been the club's MVP and now the team appears ready to take the next step in the here and the now that um, you don't know what you have in Demko so maybe you look at that Markstrom fit and say uh, he's going to be your guy but uh, obviously, the way he stepped, obviously the way Demko stepped up in the moment now, that can potentially complicate things. And uh, I think from Vancouver's perspective, the other factor to keep in mind, and I remember talking to this with uh, talking about this with 
Jim Benning, I believe it was around January, was they want to try and keep both goalies for next season at the very least. Like, I think this is um, one of those scenarios where they're going to cross the bridge and, and make a decision uh, at the very last moment when they have to. And I think part of that is because they don't know what they have in Demko. Um, I think their number one priority, I expect, in the offseason is going to be to try and re-sign Markstrom. Like, I don't think um, that component changes. Uh, and if you if you asked me heading into the summer or heading into the fall now, um, what I made of the goaltending situation, I would say that Demko's days in Vancouver would probably be numbered because Markstrom's kind of blocking the path. But I think there is an opportunity now where, let's say the club does resign Markstrom, I don't anticipate that he's going to get a no-trade or no-move clause. And so if you're in that scenario, well, maybe heading into next season, the Canucks are in, in evaluation mode of Demko. They wait to see how that goaltending dynamic plays out. And um, I still think Markstrom is their number one priority, but Demko has an opportunity to make things interesting uh, if he can take steps in the offseason, if he can cont continue to show the type of progress and steps that hint that he has number one goalie upside next season. Yeah, outstanding stuff. All right, Harmon, before I let you go, put you on the spot, are we going to see a Game 7, Vegas, Vancouver? Is that is that in the cards for all of us? Oh, I got to say I'm the worst at, at like single-game <laughs> predictions. I'd say... Uh, as much as I'd, I'd like to see Vancouver and like to see this young group force another game, I think Vegas is, uh, I, I think game five is a bit of a wake-up call for them, and they're just such a relentless group that um, I think uh, I, I think they're, I think they're going to finally put the boot in um, and sort of seize game six. So I lean towards thinking we won't see a game seven, but I fully expect Vancouver to give it their all and um, and give Vegas a run for their money as well. Good stuff. Harmon, that has been outstanding, and you would never know that it is still dark in Vancouver. So thank you for coming and hanging out with us, and you should always follow Harmon's Canucks coverage at The Athletic Vancouver, and give him a follow on Twitter, at HarmonDial2, the number two. Thanks so much for getting up. And if we, uh, if the Canucks pull off the upset, it probably won't be the last time I call on you at the early morning hour in Vancouver. No worries at all. Thanks for having me. All right. That was terrific. And I uh, can't wait to see uh, what unfolds in both those game sixes. It, you know, heart of hearts. Love to see three game sevens to close out round two of the NHL playoffs. But I guess you'll have to show up here tomorrow morning to find out just how all things unfolded. You should always see, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, pod uh, selections, you should uh, keep an eye on Jeremy Rutherford, our pal in St. Louis, who is joined this week by Darren Pang. And they discuss the interesting trade of Jake Allen, former Blues Netmiter to Montreal. So they'll be checking out all of the Jake Allen trade news on We Went Blues. And you should check out our comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. And if you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash two man advantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription. And tomorrow morning, we will close out the week with another morning edition of Two Man Advantage. Don't miss it.